Uh, good morning, everyone, from afar. Um, if you've got a church Bible, do turn to Psalm 134. Perhaps you've heard people say, heaven will be boring. I'd much rather be in hell with all my mates. Much more fun. Um, uh, or, or perhaps you thought when singing the famous song Amazing Grace, where we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Oh, yawn. Oh, boring. I wonder how you'd reply to someone who said one of those two things. We get this idea, don't we, from common stereotypes that heaven will be standing around with harps singing forever. Boring. What do you say? Maybe you'd say, um, we don't know too much about heaven. Um, will there be pets there? Will there be animals there? I've lost count of how many times people have asked me that. Or actually maybe you say, ah, heaven actually is not the clouds, it's not the harps. The Bible speaks of a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. So no, you got it wrong, it's nothing like that. Maybe you'd say something like that. Um, but whatever we say, we can't get away from the fact that the Bible does actually speak of the heavenly throne room with songs of praise, with the courtroom in unceasing praise. What are we to do with that? <laughs> you might think that sounds like a very, very long church service. And you think, well, I've done church Sunday by Sunday. Is it really going to be more of the same? I mean, it feels like I've done a marathon in this life and then there's another marathon. Or maybe you think, oh, a lifetime of singing, I need a dress rehearsal for singing in eternity. Hmm. Maybe you think, oh, well, listen, come on, how much does it matter, really? Um, I've got much more important things to be thinking about than, than heaven, really. Um, hmm. But the trouble is we don't have much more important things to think about. Uh, when you're on a train, you think about that destination. When you're in a car, you put the postcode in the sat-nav. And when you're going to get married, you make sure the right person's at the end of the altar. And when you're a Christian, you think about heaven. Heaven is our destination. And the trouble is, if we get the wrong ideas about heaven, well, we're going to struggle with the journey there, aren't we? Well, today we're in the Psalms of Ascent, carrying on our journey through these psalms. It's a little collection of 15 psalms that were used on the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the great feasts and festivals. As such, these psalms are like a little bit of a discipleship explored course, teaching us what it means to live for God, to worship him. And just as these pilgrims have moved from the furthest reaches, even from exile, to eventually end up in Jerusalem. So this path, so this journey mirrors our journey from this world to heaven. Here we are in the heavenly city at the end of these Psalms. And so we're going to ask, what do we find at journey's end? What do we find at journey's end? And how does it change our hearts as we think of heaven? What are the pilgrims going to sing as they reach the earthly foretaste of heaven? Well, notice first two things. Notice first, the pilgrims sing. And what do they sing? Quite surprisingly, they sing to the priests. Sing, priests, sing. That's verses one and two, isn't it? There's a call to worship here. Actually, it's not a call for us 
to worship, but not, at least not immediately. It's a call to the priest. Did you notice that? Look at verse 1. Come, bless the Lord, all... It doesn't say people, does it? It says, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. And who are they? Well, they're described, aren't they? Who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Bless the Lord, you priests standing in the holy place. Lift up your hands to the Holy of Holies <laughs> and bless the Lord. It's pretty emphatic here, isn't it? At journey's end, there is singing. There is praise. There is blessing. It's not the pilgrims doing it, though. The pilgrims are encouraging. It's the priests who are doing it. It's like this psalm gets to the temple at kind of 3 a.m. in the morning, in the night watches, and the pilgrims call out, hey, how are you guys? Um, you, you preach, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, we're really talking to you, yeah, you're over there, yeah, you, do what you meant to be doing. You're in the holy place, you're before God. Bless his name, do what's right. You see, the Lord God is meant to be enthroned in praise, adored and worshipped above all. And so they encourage the priest to do that. I haven't been to a wedding for a while. It's been a little while. I love weddings. They're so much fun. Um, but they're not without the nervous parts, are they? Um, the vows, of course, famously very jittery. But there's also that nervous anticipation before the service, isn't there? There's the bridegroom and the best man stood at the front and everyone waits and then stands and, and the bride walks down and uh, the couple are reunited and we're all kind of nervous. Oh, I hope they settle. I hope everything's okay. And we're kind of waiting to hear the bridegroom say to his beloved, you look amazing. And smiles. And then the service is conducted. Well, I suppose this psalm works a little bit like that. It's a little bit like the bridegroom <laughs> nudging the best man and saying, dude, come on. You're supposed to say something now. You're supposed to say she looks beautiful. <laughs> You're supposed to say she looks amazing. It's kind of like priests. You're supposed to bless his name now. You're supposed to say, Lord, you're amazing. And so I think that's how this psalm works. Tired priests in the middle of the night encourage, hey, don't forget. You might not feel like it, but he's the Lord. What do you, what do, you do? He's amazing. The priests were representatives for the people. The story of the Bible goes that in the beginning, Adam and Eve were kings and priests in a temple garden. They were given authority to rule. They were like kings and they were told to keep the garden like priests. But they rebelled and they were kicked out of the garden. And their job as priests was over. But after Abraham and after Moses and after Egypt, God re-established a temple a return to Eden, and it was to be looked after and kept by priests. And if they did their job, well, then blessing flowed. And so, do you see, that's why the people cheer for the priests. You're bringing us back to the garden. You're making things as they were always meant to be. Imagine the scene with the bridegroom and the bride at the front of the wedding again. Imagine the bridegroom pauses and says... Not, don't you look beautiful, but, wow, you look awful. I mean, wouldn't a bit of eyeliner hurt? Can you imagine the scene where a bridegroom does that? 
That'd be so terrible. It would be so rude, so offensive. It would disqualify the guy from being the bra- from being the groom, and he'd be pretty quickly taken aside, I would imagine, and there'd be tears. It'd be awful. Well, just as that sort of behaviour would do untold damage, so humanity's rebellion, humanity's decision to live and act as if God isn't good, as if God isn't beautiful, as if God isn't generous, when it sent fissures and cracks through the whole cosmos. God should have been honoured. It should have been, God, you are amazing. But instead, we've done the complete opposite and we've ruined everything. And so as the pilgrims reach the temple, God's city, God's place, God's people, it won't be right, it won't be restored until God's blessed and acknowledged as who he is. The God of infinite beauty and worth, the God of holiness and goodness and perfection. God is the one from whom all goodness flows. And if he isn't treated as the ultimate good, well, that's not good. Parasites will be taking the praise from the person of God. You see, when God isn't praised, the world is out of order. But when God is praised, the world is in right order. So the priests say, let's make things right again. And the pilgrims encourage them, bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord, because doing so... It's like putting the world back together again. It's right. Now you say, Ollie, that's all well and good, but I don't have any priests to speak to, um, uh, to, in- to encourage like this. And of course, that's right, isn't it? The Bible teaches us that Jesus has completed the work of the high priest. Jesus has made the sacrifice they could never make. He's made the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so he's made a way for his people to be the royal king priests again. In the end, this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the cheerleader. Jesus is the great high priest calling us as priests to bless his name. So this psalm pictures journey its end as us being called to render praise to God in heaven. It teaches us to bless God now. And it teaches us to long for a place where we can bless God forever. So here's the question. Are you excited about this? Are you excited about joining the perpetual praise of God and putting him in his right place again? Do you want to sing, come, come everyone, bless the name of the Lord? Or do you still find the very thought of heaven boring? Well, if you do, what might this passage be saying to you? I think this passage might be saying to us, if we're not longing for heaven and the praise of God, It's probably telling us that our hearts are more mixed up than we realise they are. Our hearts are more out of order. The problem, you see, isn't with heaven. The problem's with us. If we prefer this flawed creation to the creator God, well, that's no good, is it? (laughs) Who's at fault there? So you think the idea of heaven is boring. Well, Boring compared to what? Oh, you say, compared to a night on the town, compared to the gig and the gastro pub and the holiday in the Argive and, and the skiing in the Alps and, and watching footy with my mates. Well, come on, is, is heaven really boring compared with those things? Oh, the Bible teaches us that, that God made the world out of, out of nothing. So when it comes to gastro pubs and gigs and nights out and Pinot Grigio, we didn't make those things out of nothing we created them out of stuff that God had already made 
everything in this world and all the potential that it has for us to be creative with it, it's already come from God. We invented football, I suppose. But the very idea of, <laughs> of balls and fun came from the mind of God who spoke into existence the planets and the rolling spheres. God is behind the taste of brewing grapes. He's behind the delight of G and T. It all began with God. You see, if we think <laughs> heaven's going to be boring, we haven't understood that everything good we have here comes from God. We're mixed up. Maybe you find heaven boring. And maybe one of the implications of that is, is that actually it just, it's just telling us that we don't know God very well. The reason I'm not very excited about heaven is because I'm not very excited about the God of heaven. You don't feel very excited about praising him because you're not sure why you should praise him. You know, it's a curious thing, isn't it? We love what we know. But you've actually got to love someone and commit to someone. You've got to love them enough to know them, to know them in the first place. So hopefully today, this picture of God in the Psalms, and actually the picture we've had of God through these Psalms of Ascent, has given us enough fuel to go, actually, I want to know him. So that I can delight in him and the thought of him in heaven. Maybe you find it hard to get excited about heaven because actually the truth is that underneath it all, you're actually struggling with a lot of doubt toward God at the moment. So praising him and trusting him seems like the last thing on your mind. You're not sure if you can trust him. Maybe your feelings about heaven reveal a certain doubt in your heart. Well, it's worth considering, isn't it? The irony, of course, is that when our God is crowned in praise, all wrongs will be righted. You see, the very hope of heaven is the thing in the end to crush all our doubts. Or maybe today you find the thought of heaven dull this morning is because actually we're persisting in sin. Maybe there's an area of life in which you have an idol. You love your comfort. You love your bank balance. You love your food. You love your job. And so the God of heaven for you in life is merely a bolt-on, an, an add-on. And in heaven, God will only ever feature as an add-on <laughs> in your mind. Well, of course you're not longing for him then, are you, if that's all he is? Is that you, I wonder? Well, you know, here's the thing. And maybe you find the idea of heaven, you're just, I want to be more excited about it, but I'm not. Or maybe it doesn't reveal any of those things about you. Maybe it simply reveals the fact that you're a limited creature. That actually, we can't imagine how great heaven's going to be. Uh, this year for my birthday, my little sister gave me a Turkish beach towel. And I unwrapped it and uh, I rather ungratefully thought, a towel. What do I need another towel for? Anyway, later on, uh, we went on holiday in the summer to Cornwall. And I got a nudge, we were there with my sister, bring the special towel. And I, I had a bit of banter with my sister, wound her up about the silly towel. But as I got the towel out and enjoyed it on the beach, I found that, uh, turns out it was a very big towel, it wrapped around very well. 
turn out it was quite warm. Turn out it dried out really quickly on the beach. Um, and it turns out you can roll it up and pack it really small. So you can go to the beach with a big family and find that you don't need to take a big bag with you. I actually love this towel now. and <laughs> It's going to be my favourite towel for taking to the beach. I suppose it's a bit like that with heaven, isn't it? We sort of can't really work out how good it's going to be and why it's going to be good. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean it won't be. It's just our heads are too small to see it at the moment. We can't imagine it, but one day we will get there and we will understand. And when Jesus leads us in this call to worship of Psalm 134, we will thrill with delight. In fact, we won't be able to help ourselves but praise God, you are amazing. You're awesome. And so this should make us want to live for his praise and bring praise to him on the way. So at Journey's End, we found there's a call that the world might be made right again, that God might be enthroned in praise, bless his name. But here comes the other thing that's going to astonish us about heaven. The pilgrims sing, sing priests, sing. But number two, the priests sing back. The priests sing back, may the Lord bless you. That's in verse three. The pilgrims have encouraged the priests and now... Now a reply comes. It's a blessing. A blessing to those who've encouraged the priest to bless the Lord. This isn't a one-way street, is it? Look at verse 3. The priest seemed to reply, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. You can imagine after the journey to reach the Jerusalem temple, the crowds of, pil- of pilgrims might have been a bit reluctant to leave. But having come to bless God, it turns out they leave with a blessing too. And that blessing comes from the God who, verse 3 says, made heaven and earth. So here's the thing. The people come to Jerusalem. Priests, bless the Lord. And then the, and, and so the priests, well, I mean, what do they do? They, they bless the Lord. I mean, I guess they, they're saying things about God, aren't they? God, you're the God of all joy. God, you're great. God, you're holy. The priests bless the Lord. But then the priests say to the people, um, the Lord bless you. Now, it's not like the priests can simply repeat the things they've said to God. To the people, they can't say, you're all joy and you're holy and you're, you're great. They can't do that. I mean, we're, we're not God. We, we don't have those things. So... To bless God is to describe who he is. For us to be blessed. It's, it, it's, it's for us to be given something of God. For God to share his joy with us. Oh, you say, I'm not sure about that. Can God really give me, give, give me his joy? Well, yes, of course he can. Who is he in this psalm? He's the maker of heaven and earth. He made everything by the word of his power. He created everything out of nothing. There was nothing, and he made something. He has infinite resources, infinite power. He can bless you in ways totally unimaginable. The Bible teaches us, the scriptures put it like this. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Bible commentator Derek Kidner explains the logic of this passage. Uh, He says it like this. The word bless is perhaps the key note of this psalm, sounded as it is in each verse. So far it's been directed Godward, but now it returns from God to man. 
but the exchange is quite unequal. To bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what he is, but to bless man, God must make of him what he's not and give to him what he has not. So here's the picture of heaven. Yeah, us blessing God, for sure. But also him sharing the blessing with us, sharing his joy with us. And since his joy is is infinite, we can readily presume that ours will be infinite too. You see, in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to have new resurrection bodies. Now that's going to be a blessing of God, isn't it? But those bodies are going to have new capacities. And what capacity for joy will they have? Jonathan Edwards, the New England American revivalist preacher, once preached a sermon on heaven. And he said this, Our earthly soul has only a little spark of divine love in it. In heaven it shall be, as it were, turned into a bright and ardent flame, like the sun in its fullest brightness, when it has no spot upon it. Edward says, in heaven you will be enraptured with joys that are forever increasing and yet forever full. Wow. Wow. And how else would we expect it to be? Given this passage speaks of blessing from the maker of heaven and earth, the God of infinite wonder, we will be enjoying God forever and ever more have capacity to enjoy him. A couple of weeks ago I was uh, in Freshwater Bay and I had the opportunity to go co-steering. Um, you put on a buoyancy aid and a helmet and a wetsuit and you go climbing the cliffs, exploring the cliffs, swimming around through caves. Loads of fun. I loved it. For the days after going, it was the only thing I could talk about. I was just full of it. Perhaps you've got a friend where when they enjoy something, they just don't let you hear the end of it. It's like the holiday photos. You have to see all of them. They've discovered a new TV programme. You have to watch it. Um, When you love something, you speak of it. You tell others about it. And that's the thing here at Journey's End. We're blessing God, but, but we've been blessed by him. And so the blessing that we return to God, well, it's not some dull duty. We cannot help but praise him. Because he's blessed us so richly. It's hard to fathom out how wonderful heaven will be. But we do have clues in this earthly world. One Christian artist has put it like this. And he compares this world to the next. And he he does it like this. He says, imagine the scope of the entire universe. Trillions of shining stars burning brighter than the sun. Magnificent constellations. Billions of spinning galaxies. All magnificent and vast, colourful and mysterious. Yet they are finite, brilliant though they are. They fall utterly short in comparison to the breadth, length, height and depth of the love of Christ. His love, grace, kindness, wisdom, power and mercy each stand as never-ending infinite universes for all your affections to delight in. So he says, now when you sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, you've no need for dread or doubt. You won't be the same person as you once were. After 10,000 years, you'll look back and say, how little I knew of him then. How much more, how much I've grown in my love for him. Yeah, how much more I still have to know of his character further up 
and further into it you grow. Now the truth is we can't fully comprehend heaven now. We can't get our heads round it. But the God who made heaven and earth blesses us with the with his joy. He will make our hearts to ever sing and delight in him. At journey's end, we bless the Lord and the Lord declares his blessing over us too. So what will you do with that? I wonder what the pilgrims did with it. I presume they were utterly thrilled with this blessing that they received at the, uh, 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 at the temple. And I take it then that we are supposed to be absolutely thrilled with the blessing at the temple too. I take it that we are to be captivated with a vision of the blessing of God returning in his presence. Friends, I think we're supposed to go away from this psalm. And we're not supposed to think of journey's end of heaven as merely a place of functional singing. But as a place of unending delight. As God, the source of all delight, is enjoyed in unending delight. I think in response to Psalm 134, we're going to need to get some new imagination. I think we're going to need to fix our hearts on our real future. These Psalms of Ascent have been teaching us how to live for God, how to follow him. Now to follow him, we need a right picture of journey's end. And we've begun to see that here in this psalm, in this little psalm. So as we finish, let me challenge us. Would you find someone in the church and agree to have a cup of tea and make a plan together to talk about heaven, to talk about your hopes, to talk about your fears, and a cast a vision together of what heaven is really like. Would you do that? I think that would be a lovely way of encouraging each other. The scriptures tell us, don't they, to encourage one another. Why don't we do that? And at the same time, would you go away from here and consider the scriptures on heaven yourself? Go away, examine them. And would you at the same time, would you go away and examine your heart? Spend some time in personal prayer and consider this matter. How am I not thrilled by heaven? What needs a change in me for me to join in this psalm? And ask the Lord to be at work in your heart. Because your saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the great high priest. He is the one who leads us in this psalm. He is the one who sings too. His royal priesthood, come and bless the Lord. And he is the great high priest who sings that blessing over us. We're pilgrims who live now on our way to the heavenly fulfilment of all things. And we await that heavenly blessing. Let's fix our eyes upon it. Let's pray together, shall we, as we close. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for these psalms we've had the privilege of walking through over the last year or so. And Father, we just pray this morning, as a result of what we've heard, that you refresh our vision of heaven. 
refresh our thoughts of you, renewing us a wonder at how we will delight in you for eternity and what a joy that will be. And we pray this in Jesus' name.